Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who Show where we are doing an alternate galaxy episode on Star Trek Picard Season 2. I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. Welcome to our chat, uh, one of our f- occasional non-Doctor Who chats that we just throw out there in our alternate galaxies because Rob, we've both been watching Star Trek Picard Season 2 and we both have thoughts. We do have thoughts, Dave. We do indeed. So, look, we won't hang around. We want to be in and out, just have a nice, sensible-sized chat. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, we're going to make it very clear right from this moment, this is a spoiler chat. We will be talking spoilers from basically my very next breath. (laughs) I I don't think you can really have a conversation about this series without risking some pretty big spoilers. It is is a series... That this is the last thing I'll say. This is a series that I think is built on spoilers and on revelations. Definitely. So uh, we're not going to pretend that we can do it any other way. So spoiler zone. We're into it, Rob. We reviewed Picard season one a couple of years ago. Season two. What did you think, Dave? I thought it was a, a step up from series one. Um, on the whole, I thought it was more watchable, but it still had some strange moments. And there was one episode in particular, but probably not the episode you're thinking of, where I was watching it and thinking, no, 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 this is just getting stupid. So by no means a great series, but one I was happy to watch, Streets Ahead of Discovery, and better than season one. I would agree with a lot of that. I, for the most part, really enjoyed this season of Picard. I certainly enjoyed it more than season one, which... Look, I had a lot of respect for, I liked a lot of the aspects of, but at times it really felt like a slog. Um, I'm going to go so far as to say of this new Trek, that is the Trek of the last five, six years, this is by far the one that I've enjoyed the most. Now, I haven't seen all of what they've produced, but of what I have, this is what I enjoyed the most. There was stuff that I really got into and was really invested in. Then it drifted a bit. Got a bit better at the end. There are things that I love, things that I have big question marks over. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's where I am. I, I, I think that this was a series that ended up being very much hard overhead. Yes. And uh, so I, th- I think I want to make it clear right now. When I start pulling some of these plot threads apart, and I am going to, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that is me discussing the head part of watching the show. But please listen throughout it. Please understand that the heart was fluttering and loving the vast majority of this. And uh, it's going to be a case of what the head thought. And I will give a shout out right to the top or to our friends over at the Trek This Out podcast. Mm-hmm. They have been doing uh, their version of our Doctor Who hot take episodes. Oh, I see. And uh, I, I have been sending them emails when I remember their deadlines. Yes. Uh, so if you are curious to see, um, basically get hot takes on, on Star Trek Picard, and indeed they're now doing Strange New World Season 1, um, I encourage you to Trek This Out. Very, very good. Well, look, I've got lots of random bits and pieces I want to pull apart, but should should I mention the episode I didn't like up front? Because I sort of teased it a moment ago. Will I mention it up front? Yeah, well, why not? Let, let's be like the show and not leave the mystery hanging on too long. Okay. The episode I didn't like, while it seemed like the Monsters episode, the one that was set in Picard's mind, was the one that made everyone say, you know, what the bleep... <laughs> For me, it was the one after it, the episode called Mercy, where the FBI agent reveals his alien encounter and Picard is like, oh, they were Vulcans. And meanwhile, Agnes runs around eating car batteries and things. (laughs) 
that was the episode where I thought, oh, this has really lost it. I, I can't take this. The previous one, in his head, I was okay with, but I believe that's one that people freaked out about. Yeah, no. Look, I was in the uh, in the majority on that earlier one, the one inside Picard's head. I just remember sort of turning away from the TV at the end of that and just going, "What's all that about?" And, <laughs> and it just made no sense to me. Um, but but what you've said is really interesting because a theme that I suspect I'll be coming back to is that I am very very tired mm-hmm. of arc driven television right now. Okay. Uh, I, I don't mind character arcs that obviously build. I don't mind aspects of plots that slowly build over time and you get a conclusion that might bring some ideas together. But but these stories were basically it's a 10-part episode, mm. lacking in real episodes. I, I, I'm very, very tired of. Mm. And there was a lot of Picard that really didn't exist as an episode. It was just a small piece of the puzzle moving things into the right place, particularly in the middle. And I think both the episodes that we have highlighted very much were non-self-contained. They were kind of bizarre little sidesteps. If if this was a book, there'll be that chapter where it's, okay, reader, we're we're going to deviate from the plot now and just talk a little bit about this. Mm. And um, it, it... Neither of them were particularly great. It was by, by far the lowest part of the story. But what what's interesting is those first few episodes I thought were fantastic. Okay. Tell me more. So when I watched part one, and look, partly it was that I was coming off the back of Discovery Season 4, which I enjoyed bits of, but it, it also at times was a slog. Mm-hmm. And suddenly to get that first episode, we were on the Stargazer, and it's gorgeous. And we're flying through space. We've got these characters we know, and they're a little bit freer than they were in season one, and a little bit more fun than they were in season one. And they're they're doing all that sort of thing. I thought, that's really cool. And then the Borg flies in, and then we have the the, the cliffhanger, and then we have part two where Q comes in, and we've got this alternate universe, this evil alternate world. And then they've got to go back in time, and... Who, who 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 caused all this to happen? And who is this Watcher? And what do they have to find? And who is the Borg Queen? And what are the Borg up to? And, 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 and it really was a case of me wading through the week going, I need to see the next episode of Picard because mm-hmm. I need to start to find answers to these questions. I'm, I'm really excited about them. Then by the end of about part four, we'd answered most of those questions. And I was like, well, what do we, what do, we do now? And, and the answer was we wander around the plot. Um, occasionally aimlessly for a few few weeks, uh, and then we kind of have an ex- exciting wrap-up. That, that's how I experienced this season, Rob. Mm. Well, one of the questions that didn't get answered around the, the fourth episode or so was, who was that masked Borg at the start? Were you thinking, Dave, because we kept cutting back to his mother, and his mother seemed to be getting dragged away from him, and then this sort of female Borg shows up who's masked. Did you think, oh my God, his mother got turned into a Borg hundreds of years ago, and that's who's on the on the ship i didn't but i saw that speculation and i i did i did make a vow in blood that if his mother turned out to be the Borg queen then star trek was done for me right right uh, another thing i noticed early on having roles for brent spiner and uh isa briona's felt a bit forced at first like oh my god it's another sung and it's hundreds of years earlier than the sung we met at the end of the first season and neither of them are the famous sung that they're always going on about in next generation and oh he's made a daughter who looks just like daj and soji from season one all of that felt really forced like do we really need this i get what you're saying Mm -hmm. 
But I kind of don't care because the Sung plot thread was probably... Well, it was. It was my favourite plot thread of the season. Okay. And, and, and to, to the point that I actually would have cut some other stuff out to beef that plot thread up. I, I thought that Brent Spiner being able to you know, properly play a nuanced bad guy. He's, he's not playing law. He's mm-hmm. not playing, you know, bad android. He's playing bad human and flawed human and emotional human. And, and I thought that was a really strong performance from Brenton Spiner. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought that the implications of that plot were really quite powerful. I thought the way it was done was really quite powerful. Uh, where it interacted with the other plots, I thought was a bit weak. And I'll I'll move on here because I think we need to talk about Q. And um, <laughs> there was a point when I thought, Q, this godlike being that we first met and encounter at Farpoint, and, mm. and, and, and what's his big plot? Oh, it seems that his big galactic plot is to get Brent Spiner to hit Picard with a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for tying into my my next point dave because i've made a note that q's overall plan was quite weird you know it seemed to be to teach picard about forgiving himself and all of that and i got that on the surface but the way he goes about it is quite weird like allowing sung to run picard over what if he had killed picard there you know how does q's grand plan to make picard forgive himself and and love somebody work if Picard is dead under the wheels of some jeep or whatever he ran him over with you know would he have stepped in and used his powers which were supposedly declining or gone anyway and magicked Picard back to life because he still had to live in order to forgive himself or how would that have worked his plan seemed to have all these bits where Picard could have just been killed and then what would have been the point of the plan I don't get that at all yeah so this is where my heart overhead comment really I think is at its most relevant mm-hmm. because I understand in my heart the the way in which this was all about Q knowing that his time was coming to an end and that being an extraordinary thing for an immortal being to experience wanting to say goodbye to his favorite pet one more <laughs> time and and just you know do something for, for Picard uh, I, I understand that the only way that we could save, I guess, the galaxy, maybe, I don't know, from whatever that spatial anomaly was, was that nice Borg had to arrive and make us all work as a collective to, to save the galaxy or whatever we were saving. Mm. And, and at the same time, Picard had to put the key in the, in the wall, which was both a physical uh, time thing to, to make it all line up and make his, his, his time frame line up but also an emotional you know metaphor of he's accepted that the pain is part of who he is so i understand how we end up where we started and and that q did us a favor mm-hmm. and, and my heart loved those those things my heart loved mm-hmm. the interaction mm-hmm. between picard and q and they were great and emotional and, and powerful and you know the feels the feels all about the feels <laughs> get get yeah. it get it worked i felt the feels but you're right, when you kind of drill down into, so why did the future change? And why did he do, the, like, like did, did mm-hmm. everything that Q did have to all be lined up exactly to get them to where they had to go? Look, maybe that's the argument. But you're right, when you kind of pull his plan apart, it is a little bit like, that was all very risky and very bizarre. And, you know, most of it probably didn't need to happen it only happened because we needed to have 10 episodes. I, I don't know if it all kind of kind of made sense then, but does it matter if you felt the feels, Rob? 
Well, I mean, I also made a note that, you know, Q is dying and has this limited power to the point where he even seemed to lose his power completely and couldn't affect Renee in about, I don't know, the fourth episode or something when he needed to. But at other times when he needed to, he could still zap through time and space and do what he wanted. Or sorry, what the script wanted, at least. (laughs) And I found that very inconsistent as well. Yeah, it it, it was a little bit. As As I say, the... The start and the end all line up and work. I, I give it credit for that. The middle part seemed to kind of just happen because we needed 10 episodes. I, I think that that is a problem. I also don't know why Q is dying. Uh, I don't know if we need to know. Maybe maybe I'm being a little bit too um, anal retentive in asking that question, but it did feel like a gap. Yeah, no, fair enough. You mentioned the Borg uh, earlier and the anomaly in space and stuff, and... Agnes Gerati and the Borg Queen, Dave, merging. It was an interesting idea, but the creation of this good bunch of Borgs? Oh, I'm not sure about that. I think the only thing that can really save it is that there's still bad Borgs out there. And, you know, maybe they, they'll come through that gate and we'll have some Borg on Borg action. Although I hear that Alison Pill isn't in the next series, so maybe we don't. But I think that's really the only thing that saves it for me, that there still are the traditional bad guy Borg out there in the future. And it's not just some, you know, new cheesy idea that the Borg are good now. Because, I mean, put it in Doctor Who terms. Imagine one of the Doctor's pals becomes a Cyberman and then all the Cybermen become good. I mean, Danny Pink became a Cyberman. And imagine if he hung around and protected the Earth, Dave. Would that be a bit cheesy? Yes, it would. Uh, Yes. (laughs) um, I have been around Star Trek fandom in some way, shape or form since the middle of the Next Generation era. And and because of the the several year delay in us getting Next Generation out here, that's a bit later than it might be for American fans. Mm. But I can remember the uproar in fandom where having had Q Hume which is a brilliant episode that introduces the book. Brilliant episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Best of Both Worlds, again, it's a standout classic and recognised as such quite rightly. And then they sort of had this thing of, well, what do we do with the Borg next? Let's let's try something different. And, and I remember when I Borg came out and Hugh became the, uh, the humanised emotional Borg and there was this, mm-hmm. you've defanged the Borg, you've ruined the Borg. And I must admit, I'm not always on board with fan outcries, but I thought they got that one right because... We then went into Descent, where the Borg are just embarrassingly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, we go and in- Hugh was just one guy. And Hugh was just one guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we then sort of go into Voyager. Look, there are some good Borg episodes in Voyager. Don't get me wrong. But by that point, they have just become another monster, where you'll have the, the cold open, and the Voyager says, we're detecting something ahead, Captain. Point it on the screen. Oh, it's the Borg again. Oh, well, you know, we're going to be defeating the Borg in the next 40 minutes, because we know we can now. Just a tiny little pissy Voyager, you know, yeah. can, can, can defeat the Borg whenever we need to. Enterprise did sort of bring them back with a little bit more fangs. First Contact, look... Fantastic movie, great use of the Borg. Terrible trek, but a great movie. <laughs> but but like the Borg have kind of basically since Best of Both Worlds never been quite the same. I think like the Angels, you get a you get a good strong intro, you get a two parter that expands them, and then you're kind of not quite sure what to do with them for a long time. And I think the the, the Borg, you know, this was the final defanging of the Borg for me. It was. Okay, I thought you were about to put up a defence that, you know, them being the guardian at the gates was a really cool thing, but no, it sounds like you didn't like it. No, I didn't. And and look, part of it possibly stems from the fact that 
I absolutely can't stand Alison Pill's character in the newsroom. Right. And, so, and I, I suspect <laughs> I've carried some of that emotional baggage across to, to Picard. But even, even the fact that Girardi basically cold-bloodedly murdered her boyfriend in season one, mm. and at the start of season two, it's like, well, you know, I was forgiven, I'm having a drink now, and just forget about that. <laughs> you know, I, so, so I, actually, I actually thought, and, and um, I made this point a few times to people during the show, in narrative terms... When you have a character like Girardi who has committed a crime as bad as cold-blooded murder and mm. doesn't get punished by the system, then th- therefore she needs to be punished by the narrative. And so I thought that there was going to be something really bad happening to her. And look, there were some good moments with that. There were some good performances from Alison Pill. There were some good performances from the Borg Queen. There were also some embarrassing moments, as you said, sort of walking around eating car batteries was a bit weird. Uh, the moment when suddenly the Borg Queen had the power to control spotlights, orchestras, and sing songs <laughs> was just embarrassingly bad. Um <laughs> And and just like it's just television made for 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 um TikTok sort of thing. Oh God, is it just me, or does every bloody show at the moment need to showcase that some of the people can sing? And sometimes they can't sing actually. But Alison Pill did okay. But they all want to sing these days, Dave. What the hell is that about? Yeah. So again, were there some really cool moments in the Borg plot? Uh, yeah, absolutely there were. Some of the stuff with the battle with the Borg was, was quite well done. And, you know, again, again, we got those laser effects. We got them being transported into walls. And that was all really cool. Did any of it really make sense or work for me? No. Yeah. Very Earthshock Cyberman in the wall, that, uh, it, that movie. It was. It was. Mm-hmm. I could go in two directions here. I do have a comment, another comment about Sung. I know we talked about him earlier. Or I could go on to uh, Rios. Well, let's do Sunk, and then I've got a Rios-related comment as well. Okay. You mentioned that you liked where the Sung thing, how it played out. Yes. Does that include the Khan reveal at the end? Yeah, it does, actually. So I I really like the way that we start off thinking that Sung is one thing, maybe with a bit of doubt, with a bit of scepticism, and then we realise that he's another thing, and then we realise how bad he is at the other thing, uh, both in terms of his ability and in terms of his ethics. Hmm. Then he becomes a bit of a pantomime villain, but then suddenly it all comes back and you go, ooh, this is actually going in a place that we know it's going to go because we know that we're going to have the eugenics wars uh, at some point in the next little while in Trek history. And uh, I, I sort of thought this was a very nice loop back, and I did like the idea that even though Sung wasn't going to become the founder of Evil Earth Society, mm. he was still not just going to go, oh, go to bed and take a nap then. It's like, I'm still going to have a role to play in history and, and do evil things. And I, uh, I thought that was a very effective little um, loop back. Yeah, because, I mean, originally Khan would have been, he would have come about in the late 20th century, I think. I think originally. So that's all been shifted forward a bit, that sort of war period into the 21st century. Sorry, it's a problem that this series has in that we we, we have now, in our real lives, crossed... The future that Star Trek predicted. So, yeah. and, and 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 that's kind of fine if we say that it's all in another Star Trek universe. But because we're kind of with Picard playing very much with the oh, we're actually kind of in our real world, and a lot of the touchstones of our world are the touchstones of their world, and it's only two years in, in ahead. We're we're blurring that a little bit. So, it, I think was too hard for the show to go. We're now in 2024 and the eugenics wars were 20 years ago. Mm. We sort of have to say they're, they're actually coming. 
Well, this is going to come up in my Rios comment in a minute, but I just want to say about Sung and Khan and everything. I'm okay with it, I think. I mean, on one hand, there is this modern pop culture thing that needs to tie everything together. Like, oh, here's a guy into genetics and it's around the time Khan was engineered, so let, let's make that a thing. Sure. And, and part of me is like, that's really unnecessary. But also part of me is like, hey, it's not the worst thing in the world and it kind of fits together, so okay. I'm kind of on the fence with it. It feels to me like a really natural place for that character to go next. It does. That's what I mean, but it's not the worst thing in the world yeah. by any means. Yeah. But I do also have that, oh, this is kind of what modern pop culture does. It just wants to tie everybody together and everything together. And that happened because this character did that. And, mm. Yeah, I get that. I understand mm. what you're saying. But let's move on to Rios. I loved, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, Dave, but I love Santiago Cabrera in The Musketeers. Have you ever seen The Musketeers? Oh, no. I know of it, but no, I haven't seen it. Oh, he's bloody great in it. He's Aramis. He's my favourite musketeer. But I won't go down that rabbit hole now. We should do a Musketeers <laughs> podcast. It's fantastic. Peter Capaldi's in the first season of it as well. He, he is. I, that's probably the only reason I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. It's marvellous. Anyway, um, seeing what happened to Rios was important to me. And I kind of liked it. I kind of didn't like it. I got the whole idea that, you know, oh, well, I never really fit back in my own time. So staying back here in the past is a cool thing. But I guess it means we really won't see him much anymore unless it's his holograms, perhaps. <laughs> so I was a bit upset about that. I do have a clanger, but it sounds like you want to jump in with something first. Oh, look, I, I was just going to say, I, I don't think that Rios is going to come back. I think the fact that they did actually kill him, uh, even if it happened sort of off screen as a story, mm. was meant to be a, a, a full stop to that story. Uh, I... I'm usually a bit sceptical about TV romances that happen in the exact time period necessary. But I thought that, again, <laughs> the, the, the charm of the actor made this one work and made this one believable. And they gave him enough lines about, okay, I fit in here and I kind of like the, the loosey-goosey society we've got here. Mm. Um, you know, there, there was chemistry there, sufficient that I can buy it as a TV romance. Okay. Shall I drop my clanger? Uh, yes, because it may be the same as mine. We'll see. Does it involve World War Three? <laughs> no, quite, no. Okay, mine involves World War Three. World War Three is literally about to happen, folks. I believe it's even been shown in Strange New Worlds already, which I haven't seen. It, it, but it I is, believe yes, it is. I believe it is mentioned. And yet Guinan at the end is like, oh yeah, Rios and the chick, they had a great life. They did so much. They did this, they did that. And I think, wait a minute, they would have been in the middle of World War Three for literally decades. So it's kind of weird that that didn't get mentioned, you know, or even that Rios would want to stay there knowing that World War Three was about to happen and not want to actually save the chick and say, hey, chick and son, come with me because this is going to be really sh- for the next 30 years wouldn't have that have been a more romantic thing to do i don't know look it perhaps would have but i think that would have just ripped a little bit too close to star trek 4 okay uh, so i get why they didn't look i agree with the point but i i, I suppose we've both just sort of said we you know we think it's a little bit too much where people lean too far into canon to resolve things maybe mm. we shouldn't be too too uh, guilty of that ourselves maybe <laughs> rios just knew when world war three would happen and he's like you know what there's this James Cromwell guy that's hanging out in Montana. I know that he survives. Let's stick with him for the next few years. Right. Okay. You know, maybe he. You know, uh, maybe he knew. It's like, um, did you ever see Goodnight Sweetheart? No. Um, it's about the guy who found out he could time travel back to World War Two, and so he he basically buys you know the 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 Daily Almanac of the Battle of Britain, 
And so he says, right, I'm, it's going to be Thursday, the 14th of June, where I'm going. Uh, there are raids in the East End. I won't be in the East End tonight. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what Rios did. Um, it's a fair point. But as I say, I kind of bought that plot. Okay, fair enough. Let's talk then, because we've, we've, we've sort of tangentially mentioned it here with the whole World War Three and the the stuff that was going on, the, the politics and the messages of Star Trek Picard. I will start by saying I thought that it was a degree of subtlety much better than Star Trek Discovery. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll also say that I am very, very aware that Star Trek is a message-based show, and, and some of my favourite Star Trek episodes are stuff like um, Homefront, uh, the drumhead, just to give you a couple of examples that are very, very political and very, very latent. Mm. So I'm, I'm very open to that. And, and the liberalism of Star Trek is something that I, I, I love and value. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I thought that they, they generally were very subtle about, you know, the, the warnings about mankind has decisions to make and society isn't perfect for everybody. And, 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 and it was done in the way that I think Star Trek has always done it. Um, the one clanger for me was the depiction of ice in this series. I get that we are not in America. We perhaps don't have quite the same relationship with the police and the immigration services mm, that, that they mm. do in America. I, I, I do understand and accept that. But but I think that when I compare it to other Trek, it falls down. Particularly, are you familiar, Rob, with the DS9 two-parter past tense? It's, it, not offhand. It's the one where Cisco and Bashir and Dax end up back in the 2020s. Ah, uh, I might have seen screen caps from it or something, but no. No, fair enough. Look, it's a really good double episode. It's about the Bell Riots and Cisco ends up having to do various stuff to sort of, you know, this big teachable moment in, in future human history that they do. Right. And, and part of that, we have the security guys that the police force that enforces the um uh, the, the, the zones that Cisco ends up in. For the life of me, I can't remember what they were called now. It's really embarrassing. But these police are shown to be enforcing a really bad system and enforcing really bad political decisions that the government has made, but also that, you know what, these are guys that are just checking in at 9 o'clock, checking out at 5 o'clock, going back to their family. They're, they're real people. They don't necessarily enjoy what they're doing, but hey, if you don't do that, I'm going to end up unemployed and like you guys. You know, there's mm. a real sense of the system isn't great, but you know these people have been almost as much caught up in it as, as the people they're policing have been. So to then see in Picard the ice people being sort of depicted as real two-dimensional villains, mm. I, I, I thought lacked the subtlety that Trek is capable of. Yeah. Um, I, I, I get the message, and I'm not defending some really profoundly difficult and problematic decisions that the US has made on immigration. I'm not defending that at all. Mm-hmm. I think that it could have been cleverer here, and that is one place where overall a very good message in the series did fall down. Yeah, wee bit heavy-handed there. More than a bit heavy-handed, I would say. <laughs> Dave, time is ticking on, and I do want to talk about Huil Wheaton. Well, let's let's talk about East Eggs generally then, of which I think that Huil Wheaton was the best. Would you allow me a moment here, Rob? I know you want to talk about this, Dave. I know what he means to you. Look, look, thank you. Thank you for that. And um, <laughs> Yes, look, you know, I was a young teenage nerd in the 90s, uh, Wesley Crusher was a character that I absolutely related to. He was somebody who was a, a a teenager who wasn't cool. He wasn't hip. He wasn't wisecracking. He was just a guy who liked to study. He was a guy that wanted to join the military. He was a guy that wanted to serve. He was a nice guy. He had a nice haircut. 
and and I I he was you, Dave. He was me. You know, I really did relate <laughs> to that character. I and, and there's there's photo evidence to prove I tried to copy his haircut. You know, join the military, etc., yep, etc. Cetera, et cetera. All, yep, all, all that sort it. of stuff. So he he really did mean a lot to me. And I think some of his later episodes are really really, really good episodes. Look, I agree that Wesley Crusher was not well written in the first season of Next Generation, but neither was anyone else in the first season of Next Generation. So look, seeing him come back was a really powerful moment for me. It did really sort of impact me more emotionally than than I expected. I was so glad I didn't see any spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, I did see a couple of things on Twitter during the day where they said, oh my God, that cameo in the finale. And I've gone, right, I need to really make an effort to try and not see this. <laughs> uh, and, and then and then then got to see it. But then the moment I then sort of went on to Twitter afterwards to have a look, Will Wheaton was trending. People were sharing screenshots. And come on, guys, give us 24 hours. Thank yeah. God I missed it. But yeah, that, that was a great moment. I think it was the best of a number of really cool Easter eggs. I'll mention a couple more, but Rob... Quite as big an impact for you, or not as much? Oh, the, the character has never meant half as much to me, so so not in that sense. But the the whole turning up and being a Time Lord thing was a bit of a what-the-hell moment for me. I know there is a precedent for this going back to Next Gen. I think near the start of Next Gen there was an episode with a fella like that, and towards the end there was an episode with a fella like that, wasn't there? So so, so there were three. He meets the Traveller in, okay. travel in Season 1, he meets him again in Season 4, and then leaves again with him in the end of season seven. Okay. But I was looking at it and I thought, oh, this is just so there's a job for Isa Briones so she can come back in the next series. I mean, I doubt they set her up there with Will to not do anything with it. And I think it's probably more about bringing her back in another series. They seem to really like her. Um, maybe more so than even giving Will stuff to do in the next series. Yeah, look, I think that's very possible. It, it made absolute sense to me as somebody who's followed the character, but I, I, I get that if you haven't and you just sort of remember him leaving in season four and that's about it, it, yeah. it would be a bit 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 weird. As I say, there was lots of really cool Easter eggs in this. Uh, the mention of Khan we've already talked about. Um, all the little skulls that Picard had on his desk in episode two were all characters that we were very familiar with. You know, there was mm-hmm. there was Martok and there was um, Zek and, and all, the, all, all, all the rest of it. Then there was real deep cuts like Gary Seven from Assignment Earth, which which wasn't just a bit of a, an Easter egg, but a whole plot point, which was really interesting, right down to the same special effect used for the ter- their transporter technology. So that was really interesting. It was kind of fun. I don't know how a casual viewer would have gone with all that. They wouldn't have got it. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have got it. And and that's maybe a, a fault of the show. But but I will say that second episode that was very full of those Easter eggs, but was all also doing that alternate fascist Earth stuff, mm. was a really good episode. And some of the best Trek I've seen for a long time, I reckon. Agree. Agree with that. Before we go to the sports desk, Rob, we haven't mentioned at all the Rene Picard, young Jean-Luc Picard stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, I thought Rene was a really good character. Uh, I like that she got to show off the shuttle from the intro to Enterprise. That was a nice little Easter egg as well. In the end, though, I didn't get anything out of the childhood Picard stuff. I was like, I, I don't know why this is here. This is not telling me something about the character. It's not changing the character. And Renee makes her big discovery off screen. 
Yes, we're just meant to think about that in the background, are we? That she finds some organism and that's probably the organism that if World War Three happens, well, World War Three does happen, of course, uh, but the Earth is destroyed, the organism cleans up the the air and the sea and stuff, I guess, and makes the world nice again after World War Three, And, and solves diseases and stuff. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, that's interesting, but we didn't see any of that happen. Yeah, I, I think that's a shame. I would have liked to have had less of childhood Picard and mm-hmm. and actually spend some more time and budget on the Europa mission and the, the actual discovery of some sort. I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. Shall we go to the sports desk? Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sports Desk. If you're not familiar with this segment from our various review shows, this is where we have a look at the player of the week, the foul of the week, and the play of the week. Mm-hmm. Shall we start, Rob, who is your player of Star Trek Picard Season 2? I am going to give it to, and I've probably <laughs> telegraphed this already, I'm giving it to Santiago Cabrera as uh, Rios. I like the character a lot, and in in the whole series, I think he had some really good stuff to do. He was believable. I enjoyed his arc within the story. Yeah, Rios for me. Yeah, really strong pick, and I, I really like that and can respect that. For me, I can't go past John Delancey as Q. Sure. I thought every scene he was in was was brilliantly well done. He still has that, that wicked comic timing. I think Q is at his best, not when he's just a comic character, but when he's a comic character who's also very menacing. And, yes. and, and there's under the surface always that little bit of evil or amorality, perhaps I should say. And that all came through here. Uh, wonderful performance. The way he was introduced and then aged himself up was really cool and a clever way to do it. Obviously, him and Patrick Stewart together, fantastic. I really enjoyed John Delancey. I think he was great. It was just the patchiness of his story and how he had powers and then he didn't have powers and then he could do things. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Hard overhead. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I understand. I, I will lead off without foul of the series. Okay. And for me, it is a thing that a lot of New Trek is very guilty of. Um, I've seen some reviewers over at Red Letter Media also talk about this as one of their big problems with the series and that is long not as profound as the writers think they are speeches right if i can give you an example tell me if this sounds like the sort of thing that modern trek writers would write rob Mm -hmm. what you need to understand is that inside us all is a human and part of being a human is to be able to look inside yourself and sometimes you find that it's not perfect but is the part of being human that's not perfect the part that makes you human after all. Does that sound like the sort of profound speech that you hear in Trek all the time? Uh, it, it's horrible, Dave. It is, it is really, really horrible. Just, it's guys, awful. your writing is not as good as you think it is. And just, it doesn't matter, even if you've got Sir Patrick Stewart doing it, some of those long speeches yeah. were just, guys, will somebody shoot something? Yeah. Yeah, that was my foul. <laughs> what was yours? My foul, I've also spoken about, so I'll be brief. It's the good Borg. 
I mean, I understand what's happening. I understand that Agnes is, you know, straddling two worlds here and they're in the Federation there and they're the Guardians at the Gates. And some people are probably thinking this is just amazing. But I think the good Borg, just like a good Cyberman, is bloody silly. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I think that the Borg, frankly, should have done QQ, best of both worlds, maybe first contact, and that is it. That's all I want out of the Borg. But never mind. We will then go on to our play of the series. Rob, lead us off. Dave, my play of the series is the concept of going back in time. It let us have those Star Trek Four feels, quite deliberate ones like the guy on the bus with the stereo, the punk guy. Yes, the same guy. The same guy, exactly. The whole, I, 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 um, what is it? I'm from wherever, I just work in outer space. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of throwbacks to that, but also just in general, as we've said uh, about Doctor Who and, and other shows, when you're filming in the place where the show is actually set, it looks so realistic. So if you're, <laughs> if you're meant to be in LA, you can film in LA and it looks like LA. You're not trying to recreate something. And I know we're on other planets and we're in fascist Earth in the future and we did other stuff. Of course we did. But so much of it was set on Earth and it looked so good precisely because it was filmed on Earth. So I liked that we were back in time and we could play with that for a while. I guess a holodeck episode set on Earth gives you the same sort of effect as well. Yeah, no, it was very cool. And look, this series did look fantastic. I agree with that. Mm. My play of the season, I really had to narrow this down. Was it the overall look of the season? That was worthwhile. The Stargazer, wow, that was a cool ship. I love that. Uh, yeah. Was it the fascist Earth? That was so, so well done. But I wanted to pick and crystallize it down to one play. And for me, that was the moment where Koira discovers that she is a manufactured person. Mm. And more than that, discovers that she is one in a run of created, manufactured and deceased experiments. And exactly who she is Therefore, exactly who Sung was, mm. it was so well played. It was so creepy. It, to me, was one of those moments that just dialed everything up that little bit more and took us into a new place I wasn't quite expecting. And I just thought that is a really, really good little moment that I thought deserves to be my play of the season. And what if Sung had run out of classical Greek girl names? What would have happened then? Well, I we'll never guess know. he would have had to go Roman, maybe? A tr- yeah, maybe. Etruscan? <laughs> Cappadocian? <laughs> Excellent. No, that is a very good good point, Dave. I like that one. Yeah, and, and, and I think that that list kind of just shows there was a lot I loved in this series. With my heart, I, I got so much out of it, particularly the first few episodes and the last couple of episodes bit weaker in the middle. Did all the threads work quite all as well as they should? No. Did the, the Fox Mulder wannabe kind of <laughs> come in, do what he needed for an episode and then vanish without any reason? Yes, he did. Mm. Um, you know, Guinan gets that throwaway. Oh, I was keeping all the secret after all. Like, Okay, <laughs> we, we, we say on this show, Rob, cover it with a line. They did. Yeah, um, yep, they did. You know, look, things that didn't quite work if I want to stress hard and think this out, but... You know, I was more or less excited to tune into this each week, and that's really, really cool. All righty. For me, Dave, overall, like I said at the start, I think this was better than the first series. Yep. But I didn't feel totally at ease with it. I mean, Picard's trauma about his mother is an interesting idea, but did we really need to spend 10 episodes following that as a story and really, really teasing it out so much? I don't know. 
I think there's a very definite reason why halfway through the series, it was about halfway through the series, I think, they started dropping content relating to the next series. Like, look at this, oh my god, next series, we're doing next gen, hardcore! You know, as if to say, hey folks, we know this second series is a bit odd, but stick with it, because look what's coming next time! I mean, that's about the only way I can make sense of them flogging the next series so early during this series. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And look, I'm definitely looking forward to the next season. I'm very curious as to what they do. Now, is it literally going to be getting those six or seven next-gen members together on the Enterprise F and just doing Star Trek The Next Generation Season 8? Or is it going to be much more of a Picard has a mission and, oh, in this episode i need a really cool engineer i'll give geordie a call mm. and oh in this episode i need to go to the klingon empire just as well i've got wolf's number in my phone and in this episode i need some young woman to be seduced awkwardly so hey i know Riker. um you know <laughs> it's it, it, starting it, to sound like a heist film dave i hope <laughs> it's not a heist film um yeah look maybe i don't know like so so i i think there are a number of ways that this could be i think a lot of fans have assumed it's going to be next gen season eight yeah. And I think we'll be very disappointed if it is much more like Picard season one, where he's there, but hey, this is the episode where Deanna Troy turns up, or this is the episode where Geordie turns up. Yeah, but the timing of it, Dave, shouldn't have that have been after the last episode? Like, that's the end of that show, now look what's coming next. To play it halfway through the season, that was weird. I get what you're saying, mm-hmm. and you're not wrong, but I forgive it because I sat there and my reaction to that was... Oh, they didn't get Will Wheaton. No, didn't get everybody, did you? And then Will Wheaton turned up and it's like, okay, guys, you got me. Fair enough. Final comment is that as well as looking forward to Picard Season 3, I have started watching, as of time of recording, uh, Strange New World Season 1. One episode has dropped so far. Really enjoyed that episode. As I said at the very start of this 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 review, I am yearning for Adventure of the Week Star Trek. And Mm -hmm. so I think this is going to fill a spot that I really, really need to be filled. Uh, I'm excited. It looks great. Um, Are you going to be watching it, Rob? I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet. But I know the Orville starts in uh, early June for Australian audiences, Dave. So if you want something that outs Star Trek, Star Trek, uh, the Orville season three is coming. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Well, that's all I've got to say about a series that was not perfect, but hell, I enjoyed it. Yeah, again, I I enjoyed it overall. Some weird moments, but it was much better than the first series. Looking forward to the third. Fantastic. We'll be back with all our usual episodes over the coming weeks. And of course, at the end of this month, we will have our regular flagship episode where we discuss season one of Doctor Who as part of a deep dive into a season. Um, I'm getting on with my rear watch of that. I know that you are. Mm -hmm. We have just dropped in the last few days our 10-minute reaction to the casting of Shudi Gatwa as the new Doctor. Please check that out. Please check all of our stuff out. But it's been fun to chat. It has been fun to chat, Dave. I really enjoyed this. Something different. Fair enough. Well, until we speak again, I've been Dave. I've been Rob. And we will speak again. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You've been listening to Alternate Galaxies, the podcast where Rob and Dave from the Doctor Who show take a look at other great sci-fi and fantasy that we think Doctor Who fans might like. You can reach us at hello at the dwshow.net, on Twitter at the dwshow, or on Facebook forward slash the dwshow. 
Alternate Galaxies is an irregular podcast, so stay tuned to the Doctor Who show and other programs on our feed to know when the next episode's coming. Our theme music is called Wretched Destroyer and is by Kevin McLeod. Find him at incompetech.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.